Hello, Hawkeye fans. This is John Patchett. Welcome to the weekly football podcast from HawkeyesMike.com. The show's not quite as much fun as the first two this season, not with Iowa's 15-13 loss to in-state rival Iowa State and Ames last Saturday. Just one short week after overwhelming Syracuse, the first half of the ISU game featured a Hawkeye offense that simply failed to show up and a kicking game that continually put the Hawks in a hole and left Iowa State with a short field to play on. While Iowa's defense did not yield a touchdown for the third week in a row, it failed to stop the clones on several third and short plays, running a very soft cover two zone and driving many Iowa fans nuts in the process, resulting in the five ISU field goals. The offense did not come alive until the third quarter, with Jake Christensen scoring a touchdown on the fourth down naked boot. At that point, the momentum began to shift in Iowa's favor, but even then, Iowa couldn't sustain enough drives to get into the end zone, settling instead for two field goals, and it wasn't enough, as Iowa State kicked the game-winning field goal with one second left on the clock. Iowa inexplicably came out flat, and overall the team showed little if any improvement. It actually regressed on offense, and it continued to struggle on special teams. Another disturbing pattern continued as Iowa failed to score on its opening drive, failed to even make a first down again. Memo to Kirk, maybe we should let our defense start these games. All of this left Ference with a 3-6 record against the Cyclones, and it left many Iowa fans extremely frustrated and restless with both the offensive and defensive play calling. Moreover, there is a growing uneasiness in Hawkland, as Iowa's record now falls to just 15-13 since the start of the 2005 season. Ooh, that's bad. Oh well, at least Notre Dame lost again. I suppose things could be worse. That's good. Taking a look at some of the key stats and notes from this game, the attendance Saturday was 49,516. Now that's 7,000 plus short of Iowa State's all-time record, which was set the previous week when they hosted UNI. I guess Athletic Director Jamie Pollard schemed to charge Iowa fans $90 a ticket or make them buy a season ticket to the Cyclones games didn't work out so well. This marks the fourth consecutive year where the home team has won and taken home the Cy Hawk Trophy. Iowa once again started the game on offense. That's happened 87 of the last 95 contests. Iowa State became the first opponent this year to score in its opening possession, getting a field goal, and for the first time under Coach Ferentz, and the first time since 1984, Iowa has not allowed a touchdown in three consecutive games. Iowa was two for three in the red zone Saturday with a touchdown and a field goal, and Iowa's defense forced four three and outs in the second half. Actually, all of the stats pretty much reflect how even this game was. First downs, Iowa 16, Iowa State 17. Rushing yards, Iowa 115 to 143 for the Clones. Yards passing, 118 to 157 for the Cyclones. Christensen was 12 for 23 and Meyer 21 for 29. Total offensive yards, 233. That's not so good for the Hawks to 300 for the Cyclones. Penalties were simply not a factor in this game. Iowa State had three, Iowa two. Possession time, pretty even, 29 minutes for the Hawks, 31 for the Clones. Albert Young had 60 yards net rushing, Damian Sims 45. Jake actually garnered 10 as a result of that naked boot. Receiving, the tosses were pretty much spread out across several Iowa receivers. In tackles, Iowa was led by Klinkenberg and Humple with 11 and Mitch King with 10. One other stat of note, Kirk Ferentz's teams are now 1-35 when trailing after the third quarter. On the other hand, they're 56-3 and when leading after three quarters. So I guess this becomes a key indicator of any Iowa game that we watch going forward. 
Today's Hawkeyes Mike program is made possible in part by the Lodge Apartments in Iowa City, the finest in student living. Your home away from home. Call 319-358-3500 or go to www.thelodgeui.com and by Morgan Stanley Financial Advisors of Coralville. Call 319-338-5184 or 800-870-0002 for all your investment needs. Just a reminder, Hawk fans, these football programs will come to you weekly during the entire season. This week, once again, you'll have the chance to hear Marv Cook's thoughts and Pat Hardy's opinions, as well as our regular feature on officiating and the rules. And we'll also hear from you, the Iowa fans. We invite you to share your opinions each week by calling 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. First up, let's hear what the opposing coaches have to say about their teams in this weekend's big game. This week, it's all Iowa coaching pedigrees as Kirk Ferentz and Brett Bielma face off once again. What are Kirk's thoughts on last week's loss to Iowa State and the start of the Big Ten season this Saturday? Uh, last week's game, you know, that too is disappointing, certainly. And, uh, uh, you know, things don't look a lot differently after, after watching the tape. You know, basically, uh, we didn't give ourselves... A uh, good enough chance to win, and, and uh, they certainly played an excellent football game. So, uh, bottom line is they, they come out the winner, and, and uh, you know we, we have to uh, move on right now. Uh, it's certainly exciting to get uh, get the Big Ten part of the season started. You know we're looking forward to that. Uh, you know it's going to be a challenging game. Certainly we're playing on the road in a very tough environment. Uh, on top of that, playing a team that's uh, outstanding uh, in all regards. They certainly had a great year last year, uh, really with a pretty young football team. And, uh, you know, they, they uh, I think, done a good job in two areas. Uh, number one, thought last year I made the comment that they really improved a lot as the season went on. That was my observation. You know, we played them late in the year last year, as you recall. And I thought they got better every week and certainly carried that right through the bowl game. And they've been able to uh, replace some outstanding seniors. You know, uh, Stocko did a great job for him. Joe Thomas, obviously. Uh, they were strong up the middle with two, two senior safeties and a middle linebacker. So they, they've been able to uh, uh, replace those players with uh, uh, guys doing a nice job. And then also on top of that, I think the guys that they have back have continued to improve. So they're very, very impressive in all regards. And uh, this is going to be a big week for us uh, in that we're playing an outstanding opponent. And then also uh, we clearly have work to do. So, What about the weaknesses that showed up in Ames? I think most of the... Uh, problems or, or challenges that, that popped up were, were fairly predictable. You know, they came in areas um, that, that you maybe you'd anticipate them to come up in. And, um, you know, the fact that they may not have surfaced as evidently in the first two games, it's just the way it goes. But, you know, any, anytime you have some spots, every team does, uh, that you have concerns about, you realize that those things could pop up at any time. And unfortunately, a couple of them did, uh, you know, collectively Saturday, and that, that didn't help us. Well, I mean, one thing, we, we didn't handle the environment. It was our second road game, but really our first uh, first trip in a uh, tough environment. Uh, and I don't think we did great with that. Um, and then the areas we're young in. You know, you know we're, we're a young football team in certain spots right now, and I think that showed up. What about this team's psyche and ability to rebound from early losses? Yeah, only time will tell. But um, you know, I, I said a week ago, I don't feel a lot different than I did last week or two weeks ago or three weeks ago. I really like this football team. I think, you know, it's been a fun group to work with. We're getting great leadership out of our seniors. Uh, we only have a dozen, but they're, they're doing a great job. And we've got a lot of guys uh, that are working extremely hard. I think the whole team's working hard. So 
Um, but that that being said, you know we're we're, we're sitting here today. We're two and one. We, we've got a great uh, opportunity this week. And whether we win this week or lose this week, you know the season's not going to be over. It's it's a uh, we got nine more laps to run here. So, um, you know, as a coach, you have to uh, resist that temptation uh, of what everybody does in, in the general public. You know, which is try to decide everything after two games, three games, or one game. And you know, in Southern Cal's situation, yeah, that might be uh, you, know, you might have a better chance. But you know, in our situation, I don't know if that's really prudent. You know, so we'll know a lot more here in about a month, I think. You know, where we're heading. But to answer your question, I'm not worried about it. I feel good about things. And with the youth on this year's team, will the Iowa State game help them prepare for Madison and the other tough venues you'll have to play in? And yeah, we've got a lot of road game schedule you do every year, so hopefully we'll take whatever whatever happened, be it the environment. Uh, the other things that may have popped up during the game. Yeah, we've got to take those now and use them to our advantage. That, that's, that's the challenge that's out there. And all that being said, it's never easy to play on the road. It just isn't in our conference. That's the nature of the deal. But at least hopefully we'll be better prepared. Kirk also announced new restrictions on player interviews and an extension of the team curfew following yet another brush with a law by an Iowa player. <sighs> Turning to Wisconsin, Coach Bilma talks about his team in the Saturday's game. Excited about the opportunity in front of us, just like everybody else in the Big Ten, to open up the season. Uh, we're excited to be at home at Camp Randall under the lights uh, to play against Iowa. We're a good football team. It's our first chance to defend one of our two trophies that we have. We have the Heartland Trophy from a year ago versus Iowa, as well as the Axe from Minnesota. I think uh, both teams will be excited and hopefully be a great environment of college football. Brad also discusses the non-conference season and the apparent growing parity in college football. Well, all I can tell, do is talk for, from Wisconsin's point of view. Uh, we've played three teams and, and uh, look good at times in all three games and not so good at others, uh, parts of the game. And I know this, you know, in the world of college football, everybody uh, in Division One's get 85 scholarships, and, and those 85 scholarships uh, have been a little bit more widespread. I think that at the subdivisions and uh, all the other levels of football, there's guys that uh, maybe had Division One caliber, but they weren't able to maybe qualify right out of school or they were a late qualifier. Sometimes uh, they're in small schools that just pop up out of nowhere. Sometimes kids change from uh, 18 years of age to 20 years of age uh, in quite in dramatic fashion. So there's a lot of things that factor into it. Plus, there's a lot of good football coaches out there. Uh, I think it's just a, a more even uh, playing field. And then obviously with the way the season started uh, and some of the upsets that came about, that gave momentum for everybody. Wisconsin, ranked in the top 10 in both polls, is a heavy favorite going into this game. Bielma will have his team locked and loaded, and Camp Randall will be rocking. Given Iowa's failure to deal with a hostile environment at Iowa State, this does not bode well for the young Hawks. Compared to Ames, as the old saying goes, they ain't seen nothing yet. Following our first caller, you'll hear from former Hawkeye All-American and All-Pro tight end Marv Cook. Hey, this is Brett from Madison. I just wanted to kind of follow up with uh, some points from last week's Iowa State game. Uh, certainly it wasn't uh, in the Hawks' favor. I'm hoping it is something like last year's or 2004 year with ASU where we looked so bad early in the season but really came on late in the season. I think we're a little bit too young for that to happen. In fact, we're probably a year away from being really tough. Certainly, I still have some concerns about the bend but not break defense. We haven't given up a touchdown. However, we give up too much, especially to some good teams, and they're going to take advantage of us. So hopefully, if our offense starts to come on here, we're going to be able to better control the ball, and the defense won't have to be on the field so long.
HawkeyesMike.com. Something new. It's sports talk radio on the internet. Just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. We want to welcome back Marv Cook to HawkeyesMike.com. Marv takes time out every week from his busy schedule. He is a financial advisor at Morgan Stanley in Coralville and now also the new head football coach at Iowa City Regina High School to provide his insights and thoughts on the Iowa team. Overall, Marv, what were your impressions of the game and the Hawks' play? Oh, not very well. I mean, you got to give credit to Iowa State, obviously. I mean, I think they out-hustled us, played with more emotion than we did, and... uh, obviously executed times. I mean, you know, the one thing I think they really did well was manage the wind. You play at Iowa State, you play in that stadium, you got to manage the wind. And I think Iowa State, when they had the ball, they controlled it. They were able to change the field position when they were into the wind. And then when Iowa had the ball into the wind, it seemed like they couldn't move the ball effectively. So that's always a big concern when you play in Ames, up at Ames. So, but I, I didn't think they played well. I, I didn't think they played well at all. And I think to Iowa State's credit, they're starting to get the hang of this new staff, the terminology, uh, the system. Anybody that's watched these games in the last three to four years know that Brett Meyer is a pretty good player and Todd Bice is a pretty good player. Uh, and they have talent. And uh, when you get when you let those guys get on a little bit of a momentum roll, uh, they can't hurt you. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, I don't know what Meyer's statistics ended up being, but he was pretty accurate. I mean, he didn't miss many. If the guys are open, good quarterbacks will find them and make plays, and, and that's what happened. As a former player, now a coach, what causes a team, both players and coaches for that matter, or at least in this case, the offense, to come out so flat, especially for a big interstate rivalry game like this? Well, I think part of it is is the other team causes you to play flat. I mean, the other team can make you look bad. They beat you to the punch. I think a lot of that's scouting report, knowing kind of, you know, not necessarily knowing what you're going to do, but knowing your tendencies and then beating you to the punch on a lot of those plays. So I think that's part of the issue is that it's not necessarily playing flat. It's the other team makes you look flat by just beating you to the punch. You know, the effort thing and, and the in-state rivalry, it's, that was always a lot. It is concerning when you see what you think is a lack of effort or a lack of emotion in, in a game like this, but just the lack of productivity. I mean, the lack of guys stepping up and making plays on the Iowa side of the ball was this disheartening thing. Did you see any improvement at all? Not really. I mean, uh, I mean, like I said, I mean, it was a, Iowa State played hard. They played tough, physical football, and and I think when you look at it, you think there's a team that's starting to buy into the system now. I know from an offensive standpoint, new terminology really makes a player think, and you don't want to think when you're out there. You just want to play and make plays. And I think Iowa State started to do that today. It looked like Meyer was able to find the open guy, and uh, when he when he did, you know, he made the completion and moved the chains and. And, uh, and then obviously the uh, special teams was, was big. I mean, you go five out of six in field goals, that's a pretty impressive performance. Coach Ferentz indicated that right off the bat, Iowa State showed some blitz packages and some defensive sets that Iowa really hadn't seen or prepared for. These seem to rattle Jake. He's still a young quarterback. It's his first time really in a, in a hostile environment. You have to ask yourself why the offensive coaches would fail to adjust until the start of the second half, continue to call those same plays that put Jake in those situations. You know, Iowa State did a great job. I mean, that's, uh, you know, I mean, you want to mix things up, especially if you get a young quarterback, you want to confuse him, make him feel uncomfortable, and that's exactly what you try to do. You know, you try to prepare and you try to anticipate blitzes and, and, and what, what they can do to you. A lot of times what you do is you have blitz pickup period where you just literally go over all the different blitz scenarios. You know, I, I, I don't know if Iowa didn't handle that well or not, to be honest with you, but I just, you know, felt like that they, they could just never get on track and um, guys didn't make plays when they had a chance. And that was, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to 11 players trying to make plays and, and move the chains and score touchdowns, and Iowa just wasn't able to do it. Would you have tried something different? That's a tough one, too. I mean, if I had to, to look back, I mean, the one thing that you would like to see is, 
it's hard to say. I mean, it, it just to me, it looked like Iowa State just had Iowa's number. I mean, it, you know, anytime they tried a certain play, it seemed like Iowa State had it marked. Uh, with the exception of coming out in the second half, I thought Iowa did, had a couple nice drives. But other than that, it just looked like Iowa State really had a good idea of what Iowa was going to do, both offensively and defensively, and they were able to create the mismatches when available. And that's what football has turned into. It's a game of mismatches. You look at personnel packages and you want to see how the defense adjusts to it. Perfect example is the, the play late in the game when they spread it out and we got a linebacker trying to cover a really speedy guy. That's just something that they probably saw earlier in the game. We stay our base package. They come in with some scatty guys or some receiver types and we, we stay with our base personnel. Well, now we got a linebacker on a receiver and that's a mismatch. And then, you know, the good teams will take advantage of that mismatch usually. Who should get blamed or take the responsibility for their continued offensive problems in the first half on Saturday, the coaches or the players? When you draw plays on paper, you technically have everybody blocked. I mean, on paper it's easy to do, but then eventually when you get to the X's and O's of it, the X has got to block the O. And one of the things you try to do as an offensive staff is to make sure that the X can block that O or, or execute that, that particular block on that O. So I'm not sure the schemes, you know, they're trying to run the zone a lot and the play action off the zone, but our, our offense is built on the, on the run. And if you can't run, then the play action's not there. And if the play action's not there, then you're throwing, you're, you're behind the eight ball a little bit. So if we can't run the ball and establish the run, then our passing game's gonna be a little bit suspect. And that's kind of what happened Saturday. How would you grade out Jake's performance and the same for the offensive line? You know, I guess, I, I mean, from a grade standpoint, it's, it's hard for me to assess it because I really don't, you know, I don't know exactly the particulars of what they were looking at uh, during the week. I know a lot of things that what we're trying to do is, is tell the quarterback, if you see this, we want the ball to go here. If you see this, you know, this, we want the ball to go here. And I'm not sure exactly how that's being taught. So I, it's really, it's hard for me to put a grade on it sometimes. A lot of times you'll see a guy come free and you think, well, the tackle must have screwed up, but then maybe it was the back went the wrong way. So you really don't know from an X and O standpoint who, who messed up a lot of different times. But at the end of the day, it's, it's a team game, and, and Iowa State was better than our guys. And uh, the scary thing is I don't necessarily still think that Iowa State's that good a football team. But like I said earlier, I, mean, I think they're a team that's got talent. They're a team that was the first couple games is still thinking about what they're doing offensively. And I think they're finally starting to get, get the feel of what they're trying to do offensively and defensively. And, uh, you know, that showed against the Hawks, unfortunately. Do you think based on this game at least, or for that matter, really what you've seen in the first three games, that Iowa lacks a, an offensive playmaker? Well, I mean, I think that's probably right. I mean, Tony Moaki's a guy that can make plays, but... In games like this, when it, it is close and tight, that's when you got to make plays. I mean, I'd rather make two touchdowns in a game like this than three touchdowns against Syracuse. And and uh, you got to find ways to make plays in the big games. And and unfortunately, there was really no one that stood out and was able to do that. You know, our kicking game let us down a couple of different times and it turns out to be big. And you get in close games, special teams will win or lose games for you. And that's exactly what it did for Iowa State. It won it for Iowa State and it lost it for Iowa. Kind of shifting gears here, but sticking with the offensive problems. In your opinion, given what's gone on the last couple of years with Iowa's consistent failure to sustain drives in their first offensive possessions of the games, how do you explain that? You know, that's a statistic I haven't, I haven't really seen. But it's an interesting thing. I mean, I know Coach O'Keefe Scripps plays, has you know, a 15 or 20 script play drive that he has, and, and, and historically that's been pretty effective for him. Part of the issue is if you look at the last 10 or 12, 15 games, Iowa hasn't been that good. I mean, you know, I don't know what their last four, five, six games in the Big Ten were last year and then this year. I mean, they just you know, have not played that well the last 10 or 12 games, and I think that has a lot to do with that statistic. Uh, they are young. I'm not going to say that they're not young, but 
you'd like to see some better productivity out of the offense in the opening drive, especially try to take the fight to them. So, and with Kirk's, with Coach Ferentz's mentality that we're always going to take the ball, uh, initially it would be nice if we were taking the ball and scoring and punching up seven points. So I know back in the Brad Banks era, that was a huge thing for us because I think we had scored, you know, touchdowns 10 of 11 games. And that's just actually reversed here in the last uh, 10 or 15 games. How would you adjust? Do you believe in scripting the first series, which Iowa apparently does, regardless of what's occurring on the field? I do. I, be I believe in it because I think the one thing you're trying to do as, a, as an offense is probe the defense, see what the defense is going to do to certain formations, certain p personnel packages. And if you're scripting it with that in mind, a lot of times you'll use a personnel package and a motion just to see what the defense is going to do and how they're going to react to it. And it doesn't necessarily have, have an outcome on the play, but you just want to see how they react to it. And then you're on an inside run and so then now you know if you get later in the game and you get in a certain formation and motion package you can kind of think well they've done this before this is what they might do and then you can script a play to kind of take advantage of that defense and I think so I, I think scripting is important I think it's important to have a sequence to what you're doing with your plays you know at some point it comes down to though the players our 11 have to be better than their 11 and that can alleviate a lot of mistakes from a play calling standpoint if you got better guys up front and you got better guys in the backfield making plays, then you know you can have bad play calls and they'll still work. Boy, this past week, both offensively and defensively, field position was consistently a major problem, especially in the first half where kickoffs and punting put the Hawks in a hole and gave Iowa State short field. Syracuse and Iowa State, any three of those teams at the end of the year are going to be the top 90 teams in Division One football. I mean, I think we're playing, I think we played uh, lower quality opponents the first three games and, and what we'll find out is over the next you know five six weeks we'll find out if this is a good team or not and this is a great defense or not uh, you know the one thing that's frustrating for me is to just watch third and fives you know seven yard completions uh, for first downs move the chains and and uh, that seems to be uh, you know an Achilles heel that we have sometimes is that we have that bend but don't break mentality which is good against inferior teams but if you find a good quarterback who executes who won't make mistakes I think that's a defense that can cause you problems. How can Norm continually run that cover two zone so soft with the cornerbacks playing so far off the line, especially on third and short yardage, and then backpedaling when the play begins? Well, I, I think a couple times it looked like they, Iowa got into man coverage and, and took Iowa State took shots down the field and they had a chance. And I think that has a tendency to scare a defensive coordinator when they take some shots down the field. And so it forces a defense to soften up. and. And unfortunately, you know, like I said, third and five, if you give a 10-yard cushion, good quarterbacks, good receivers will find that six-yard cushion and they'll take it and they'll make the first down and move the chains. And when Iowa was successful, they either batted a ball down or a guy drops a ball and against the good teams, they won't do that. I mean, they'll, be, they'll execute that and they'll make the play. How do you explain Kirk's three and six record against Iowa State? I, I just, I, I find it hard pressed to believe that the guys aren't playing hard and, and, and wanting it and, and realizing that um, how important of a game it is, because at the end of the day, it's just as important as a Michigan-Ohio State on the record. And and uh, with the in-state rivalry, I just think that's huge. And I think the one thing that probably happened is they probably saw the UNI film and you know saw UNI beat them up pretty good and figured, well, we're better than UNI and and we'll go up there and, and get a victory. And and you know the one thing that we talk about is is that they are in a new system. They are going to get better and better every week. And Meyer and Blythe are good football players. I mean, they're great football players. So obviously, they showed that Saturday and. Um, as an alumni, it's disappointing. I mean, it's to see that because I, I think, I don't think there's ever been a scenario other, other than maybe this year where, you know, from a talent across the board, 
I think Iowa's had the majority of the, the better teams talent-wise uh, the last 10 years. You've been a player, now you're a coach. Is it fair and generally accurate to say that the personality of a team on any given day reflects the attitude or approach of the coaching staff for a particular game? Yeah, I think that I think that's a fair assessment. And, and I, I, I'm of the mindset, I love Kirk Ferentz's philosophy and mentality that, you know, this is one of 12 games or one of 11 games. And uh, you have to have the mindset that you go to work, you punch the clock, and you get it done. And, and I think that that influence of him a calming influence that when things are hitting the fan and things aren't going well, you have a coach that is calm, cool, and collected, has been there, done that, seen this. And, and eventually, these are 19, 20, and 21-year-old kids playing in front of, you know, whatever, how many thousand there was uh, in the stadium. Part of the job of the head coach a lot of times, you have to reel that emotion in. You have to reel that energy level in. And if you're a big rah-rah guy and you got to pump them up and get them all cheered up to go hit somebody and to play hard, then you got problems because eventually you're going to have a flat game. And, and I like the idea of just being workmanlike, journeyman-like, and the players, in my opinion, are the ones that have to step it up and play with the emotion and bring their A game every single Saturday. What's your sense of the team's overall development and performance at this point in the season? Well, my concern is that we have a lot of good players. And I, I say that because I don't think we necessarily have a lot of great players. Unfortunately, when you get in the Big Ten, everybody's got good players, and a lot of teams have great players. Uh, and I'm looking to see who the great players at Iowa are going to be. I mean, who's going to be the next Matt Roth? Who's going to be the next Bob Sanders? Who's going to be the next, you know, Dual Hodge or Chad Greenway? And I'm right now, I'm just not seeing guys come to the forefront uh, with the exception of maybe a Mitch King. And then the problem is if you just have one, they'll put two guys on them. You know, and then it's up to somebody else to step up on the one-on-one. -on -one. And I, I just haven't seen that yet. Friday night or Saturday night with Michigan uh, or Wisconsin, primetime television. I mean, this is going to be a chance for them to to show what they're made of. I mean, Wisconsin's got a 14-game winning streak going, the longest in the country. Coach Beal was 24 of his last 25. I mean, it's a great opportunity for Iowa to really make a statement and show the country that they are for a real football team. The concern is that Wisconsin is very powerful. They're going to come out and they're going to basically try to ram it down your throat. They don't prepare and they don't have a good week of preparation. It could get ugly. What do you expect to see Saturday in Wisconsin? Well, I think, I think what you see in Wisconsin and Iowa is two teams that, that want to be like each other. I mean, I think Wisconsin's offense is basically mirrored like Iowa's offense. They want to run the ball, they want to run zone and stretch and power, and they want to pound you, and then they'll run boot and play action off of it. The exception the last 25 games or 25 games is that Wisconsin has been able to run the ball a little bit better than Iowa has, and then their play action is set up a little bit better. So I think you're going to see two teams that look very, very similar on paper from a strategy standpoint, but it's going to be the team that comes out and ends up playing the most physical the most flawless football as far as execution and turnovers and things like that is going to be the team that wins. And uh, it'll be, I mean, it's going to be a great, great challenge for Iowa. Keys to the game? Primetime Saturday night. I mean, it's going to be, you know, it's who wants to show up and play? Who wants to be a star? Who wants to, to make a difference for their team? And uh, who wants to play physical football? Because Wisconsin will force you to play physical football. Because if you don't play physical football and you try to play finesse football, they will ram it down your throat. They're going to have to have their chin straps buckled up and shoulder pads tightened down. And it's going to be a tough, tough football game. But, you know, we could look back at last year and you could say Iowa should have won that game. And Wisconsin ended up being fifth in the country. So I think the matchups and the styles are conducive to a close ball game. It's just a matter of who executes and doesn't turn the ball over. The loss at Iowa State, what kind of an effect does that have on a team? I, th I think the mindset, and I, you know, Coach Ferentz has said, it's not what, it's not the losses, but what's, what, what the loss become, what we make the loss, what the effect of the loss is to us and how we respond to the loss. You know, there's been year, great years where they've lost Iowa State and they've gone on and had extremely great years. I think it might have been the year they went to the Orange Bowl. 
uh, was like that. So it's just a situation where it's an eye-opener for them. The concern that I have is that we played Northern Illinois. They weren't very good. We didn't beat them very good. We played Syracuse. They weren't very good. We did beat them fairly convincingly, but Illinois beat them 41-20. So I don't think Syracuse is a very good football team. And at the end of the day, I don't know how good Iowa State is either. Still a lot of unknowns, in my opinion, on just how good this football team is going to be. But, um, you know, you have to go out and earn every victory in the Big Ten. And that's what we're starting right now is the Big Ten season. Another call, then coming up, award-winning Iowa City Press Citizen sports reporter and columnist Pat Hardy. This is Nick G from Iowa City, and I wanted to comment on the Ames game here. Uh, everything we did against Syracuse the week before was erased by an embarrassing loss to Iowa State, a team that was 0-2. We didn't do anything. We, we seemed to go in there. We weren't ready. Our offense wasn't, wasn't doing anything. We weren't making pass completions. We definitely weren't doing anything on third downs. We were 3-for-13 on three down conver- third down conversions. I don't understand how we go into a place like Jack Tri Stadium, which is not a difficult stadium to go into, and we've lost the last two times we've been there. It doesn't make sense. The only the only good thing that has came out of this this game was that a it seemed like we did uh, again didn't give up a touchdown, which was good. And I was impressed to see that uh, Jake Christensen actually on that naked bootleg he did for an 11 yard touchdown run. I was pretty impressed by. Everything else was terrible. I don't get why we can't beat Iowa State. And now we're supposed to go into Wisconsin, uh, a top ten team, and and beat them at home. I don't get I don't get where this program is going. What's going on? Once again, we welcome in Pat Hardy, sports reporter and columnist for the Iowa City Press Citizen. You can read Pat's articles in the Press Citizen and on Hawk Central. And he also joins us weekly to offer his thoughts. Pat, what were your overall impressions of the game and the Hawks play? Dismal. Dismal and dismal. My impressions were dismal. They played dismal. I thought the game would be close, but I thought Iowa would just have enough overall strength and talent to overcome the intangibles, the atmosphere and whatever, and win the game. But I also thought they'd be able to run the ball a lot better, and they were just beaten on the line of scrimmage, and I did not expect that to happen. Did you see any improvement at all? Not really. I mean, Ryan Donahue shanked another punt. He's had three games now where he's had one punt go less than 15 yards. I thought Colin Sandeman, the freshman receiver, made a couple nice catches. But no, I did not really see what I would call any marked improvement by anybody. And I was a little concerned about it. It just seems like the receivers can never get open. They just seem really slow. And that's what's concerning me is their lack of speed at the skill positions. How can a team, offensively at least, come out that flat for a big intrastate game? To me, that's the $2.84 million question. I'm not sure because the players did admit that they came out flat for this game. I don't know. I don't know if that's the coach's inability to get them motivated for this game. I mean, we keep hearing that it means more to Iowa State, but I don't know why it should mean any more to Iowa State. I think Iowa had as much to lose as Iowa State, and that's the great mystery, and we've never really been given a good answer by the players and the coaches. I'm not sure they know. you think the Hawks took this game for granted given ISU's performance in their first two contests? I'm sure human nature-wise that that might have been something that affected them a little bit. I mean, it's hard not to go into a game and tell yourself this team lost to Northern Iowa and Kent State, but you'd think after the first or second series they would have realized that they were in a game and that this team was matching them speed-wise. And actually, Iowa State was more physical during that whole game, so maybe for the first quarter, but you would have thought when they realized they were down 6 to nothing, wow, we're not as good as we think. We need to take this game seriously, but I just don't think they had enough talent to do it. You think it's fair to say the play reflects the approach the coaches took for this game? 
Well, one of my concerns with these coaches is they're just so darn stubborn about certain things. They don't, it just seems like they stick with the same stuff. They're doing the same stuff they did eight or nine years ago. And I think the game has changed a little bit in eight or nine years. And I don't know. I mean, they used to say that Dan McCartney was the difference in the motivational aspect of the game. Gene Chizik's never been at Iowa. He doesn't have any knowledge of this series. So how can he in his first year motivate him anymore? I, it's the great mystery. I don't know if maybe just we overrate Iowa going into this game and Iowa State. I mean, but then you also got to ask yourself, why does Iowa State so often beat Iowa and then struggle the rest of the year? It is a it is a good question. I think we need to wait and see what happens to Iowa this year. If Iowa goes 9-3, and 10-2, then maybe they don't take this game serious enough, but I just have a feeling this Iowa team is going to struggle to be much above 500. Kirk indicated in his post-game press conference and since then that right off the bat, Iowa State showed some defensive sets, especially some blitzes that Iowa really hadn't seen. This rattled Jake. He's a young quarterback in a hostile environment. Uh, what took so long to adjust? I think it's what they've been doing all the time they've been here, and that's like I said earlier. I th- they're just stubborn. I don't think they, I don't think they adjust because I don't think they feel they need to adjust. I think sometimes they play not to lose. That's kind of how I would look at their offense. They play not to lose. They don't want to take risks. And when you can't run the ball and you don't take risks, you become very predictable. And it'll be interesting to see what they do this week because they got to figure something out because I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball much against Wisconsin. They're going to load the box, force Jake to pass. They're going to blitz, and I think they're going to have to come up with something. Why they? don't I think they thought that they could beat Iowa State just by going with their basic stuff and I think they learned a a harsh lesson you think that's the responsibility of of the coaches or the players a little of both I keep thinking that a lot of this comes down to recruiting I know some Iowa fans probably don't want to hear this but the 2002 team never had any problem running these plays and looking exciting but that team had eight or nine NFL players on it I don't see any NFL players on this team other than maybe Tony Moyaki the tight end Charles Godfrey the cornerback I don't see any other NFL caliber players on this team right now so I think a lot of it just comes down to you can only get so much out of limited talent I think that's what they're battling with right now What'd you think of Jake's performance in, in the offensive line? C minus for Jake, and I'd give the offensive line a D because in fairness to Jake, he didn't have a lot of time to pass. And I think Jake, he ran enough to where I'm not going to give him a D. I thought he did okay on some of those quarterback draws and the bootleg that he ran for a touchdown. My biggest concern with Jake is just his lack of touch on his passes. Sometimes it seems like he either throws it too hard or too soft, but the offensive line to me, Northern Iowa just destroyed them up front and Iowa never asserted itself on the offensive line. So I give the offensive line a D because they didn't do any good job run blocking and they struggled with pass blocking and that's pretty much the game. Do you share the concern that Iowa's offense really doesn't have a playmaker right now? Not right now. No one that you could really call a legitimate playmaker. I think they'd like Albert Young and Tony Milwaukee to be it, but I think with Albert, I think Albert's situation is he just doesn't have that breakaway explosive speed to be a big-time playmaker. I know Darrell Johnson Kuliana shows some of that explosiveness after he catches the ball, but I'm not sure if he's a great receiver yet. He played quarterback in high school, so no, I don't think they have a legitimate game-breaking playmaker that they can fall back to on offense. How do you explain the failure to sustain any consistent drives in Iowa's first offensive series over the past couple of years? That's a good question. They just come out flat, and it's almost to the point now where we sit in the press box and we're like, this is going to be three plays and out. They just, I don't know. I mean, the offensive line just seems to need a half to wake up. I mean, and it just seems like it's so hard. The thing that, one of the biggest things that I took from Saturday's game was, it seemed like Iowa State could complete a seven or eight yard pass whenever they needed to, whereas Iowa, something was out of sync. Either the receiver wasn't looking, or the receiver dropped the ball, or the ball didn't get to him. But they just come out flat in the beginning, and I think it's something they're going to have to address. Maybe they don't want to take the ball. Maybe they want to start on defense sometime. Give Jake some time to kind of get used to the game.
Do you like the concept of scripting those drives? You know, I'm, I think you could maybe say that, but I still say it comes down to the execution and the blocking and what have you. I mean, Northern Iowa ran some plays that looked pretty predictable, but they blocked and the backs were fast enough to get through the holes and they made them. I mean, the 2002 season, I remember us joking about how we knew that receiver screen was coming sometimes, but they had such good players executing it that it worked. I mean, they are a little predictable, but I still say it's a talent thing. And right now the talent's just not letting them offset the predictability. It looks like the kicking game, both kickoffs and punting, continue to be problematical for the Hawks and has put them in a bad field position at the Iowa State game, especially in the first half. The kickoff surprised me. I thought with a new rule change that they'd be able to offset that. The punting, I think the kid's got a future. He is a redshirt freshman. His problem is he gets one such bad punt off every game that it just affects his whole average, and it puts them in a position to where the defense is always having to play on the short end of the field, and I think the kicking game is a concern. I mean, Signor did make a good kick under pressure for 41 yards. I think there's hope there. I think there's hope with the punting game. They need to grow, but I'm not sure this team can afford to have a kicker and a punter struggling because I don't think it's good enough to offset that. Given the situations they were placed in, what'd you think of the defense on Saturday? Yeah, I think there's been a lot of talk about the defense not doing its job and people getting down on Norm Parker. I did question having a or having a linebacker cover that speedy freshman receiver, especially so late in the game when fatigue. Mike Klinkenberg was exhausted by then. I just think it put him in an unfair position. They had done better with the nickel back and what have you, but I just think that it just it just wasn't the right scheme for that time. And I sometimes I I just wish they'd try to be more aggressive. It just seems like they react and they try to bend and not break too much on defense and this team just doesn't have a lot of playmakers on defense either I mean they double team Mitch King the whole time but you didn't see Brian Madison or Kenny Webema get a, close to getting a sack and that was very surprising was that soft cover too bug you as much as it does most of the fans? Well, I think what killed Iowa was they, they couldn't defend the pass and keep Brett Meyer from scrambling out of the pocket for a first down. They, it's like they, they'd commit to one, but if they committed to defending the pass, then Meyer ran. If they stopped Meyer, then a receiver was open. To me, that comes down to playmakers and a lack of speed, and I just think this defensive line, I think we bought into the hype last year. We started to buy into the hype this year. Maybe it's not as good as we think it is. You have any explanation for Kirk's 3-6 and six record against the Clones? I want to say it's maybe part motivation. I want to say maybe it's just part coincidence. I don't know, but when you when you start to lose, when you lose six out of nine, there's obviously something there. I think maybe that the Iowa players in the back of their mind are preconditioned to think that they're going to win this game because they, I mean, they went in almost a three touchdown favorite Saturday and somehow he's just not getting these players motivated for this game. Whereas on the other end, they're getting motivated. Maybe it does mean more to the Iowa State players. And if that's the case, that's unfortunate because I mean, this is no fun losing this game all the time. I know Kirk always talks about having a steady approach throughout the whole season. Do you think by trying to avoid getting the team up too much for this Iowa State game that they play it almost too routinely, for lack of a better term? Well, they do this one game at a time. Don't take one game higher than the other. It's worked in the past, but it doesn't seem to be working now. So maybe they need to change their philosophy. The problem is we don't ever hear Ferentz motivate the players before the game. We don't know what he does. I don't go to practice. So I don't want to say it's all a motivational thing, but they just seem to be so predictable and just everything just seems to be so ho-hum right now. There's just not a lot of excitement. They're kind of a boring team to watch. And I could not believe how flat they came out Saturday. I don't know what it is. I know you said the last couple of weeks we really weren't going to know much about this team until after the Wisconsin game. At this point, do you have any more sense of the team's overall development performance? 
especially on offense, I don't think they're developing that well at all. And Kirk even said it. Iowa State improved a heck of a lot more than Iowa did from the second to third game. I see the defense getting a little better. The defenses should be pretty good, though. You got fourth-year juniors and fifth-year seniors scattered all throughout that defense. To me, though, the biggest concern with this team right now is special teams and the offense. The offense just seems at a loss. They seem inexperienced, and they seem slow at the skill positions. And if they can't run the ball, then the whole thing falls apart because then teams load up on Jake, and he's just not ready to handle that yet. Looks like your preseason prediction for this game was right after all. Where do you think the season's heading now in terms of a final record and maybe what kind of bowl fans might realistically hope for? Well, I stayed with 7-5 and five going into the season. I'm sticking with 7-5 and five or 6-6. Six and six. I think the reason I originally thought Iowa might, I, I changed my mind and had Iowa winning this game after Iowa State lost to Northern, Northern Iowa. I kind of fell victim to that too. I kind of got caught up in the hype, but now I see 7-5, and 6-6, six and six, and who knows, maybe we'll spend New Year's and Christmas in Detroit, the Motor City Bowl. Oh, not Detroit. Gee What do you expect Saturday at, at Wisconsin? I expect to see Wisconsin basically assert its will in the second, third, and fourth quarters. I think the game's going to be relatively close because I don't think Wisconsin's got a real explosive offense that can score a lot of points against Iowa's defense. I think they're, I mean, Iowa almost beat them at home last year. It was 24-21. I don't see Iowa scoring 21 points this year. I see a score like 21-3, 24-7 Wisconsin. I don't see the game ever really being much in doubt, but I just see Iowa kind of staying, keeping it close just because I think they'll, they will stop Wisconsin at times, but I don't see the offense doing much of anything. Keys to the game? They have to come out early. They have to get a big play early, seize the momentum, get some threes and outs on defense so and get that offense some confidence to build. But something good has to happen early in this game or I think some of these young players are going to start having that doubt enter their mind again. Any other thoughts, Pat? I'm just disappointed. I, uh, I'm, a f- I'm, I'm a journalist first, but I'm also a fan. My brother played football here years ago, and I don't like it when they lose to Iowa State. And I'm just disappointed with the effort, but I'm more so, I'm just starting to think that maybe the level of talent is not where it used to be because they just don't seem to be developing players like they used to. What's up? It's Zach R. I'm a uh, Hawks fan from Iowa City. Just wanted to call in, leave my thoughts on last week's game, and uh, maybe talk a little bit about the upcoming game against Wisconsin to open up the Big Ten season. As far as last week goes, not uh, not a lot of great things to say about about that. Uh, losing to the in-state rival, that's painful. And, you know, the first loss of the year, that's that's always incredibly painful. The big thing is how they come back from it. You find out a lot about your team from how they come back from their first loss. A lot of times it's nice to get to come back against a, uh, a past year. It's just a terrible team. But uh, the Hawkeyes don't have that kind of luck. Unfortunately, they do open the Big Ten with Wisconsin, and they're a top ten team. Tough to, tough to predict a loss for next week because you never want to see that and say that's going to happen. But it's going to be a tough one. I think that Iowa and Wisconsin almost always play each other nearly dead even, and those almost always end up being excellent games. And I say look for more of the same. I think that with the defense that the Hawkeyes have, they're going to stick right in that one to the end. And if they do that, they've got a shot to win it. So hopefully that's what we see. The defense last week, that was definitely not the problem. They did have five scores on them, but all of those scores were field goals. That is the epitome of bending and not breaking right there. Is once, once you get into the red zone or on the, the or on side of the 50, you just you tighten up and 
don't allow anything past you. The offense, on the other hand, the entire first part of the game, they were just absent. They were not even there. I mean, if they played the entire way, the uh, if they played the entire game the way they played the second half, I don't think we would be seeing a 2-1 and one Hawkeyes team right now. The uh, offense didn't look spectacular in the second half, but they certainly could have gotten it done. Uh, that being said, uh, they've got a lot of work this week against Wisconsin. Wisconsin has been underachieving to this point in the year. I think it's safe to say that they're not going to be doing that anymore. I think that they're about to start playing like the team that they know they can be. For more information about the Hawkeyes Mike team and our guest experts and commentators, go to www.hawkeyesmike.com and click on the team. We also have a call this week from a Badger fan who also has some nice things to say about Hawkeyes Mike. Hi, I'm Kyle from Madison. I'm a diehard Badger fan, and I kind of wish they had a website like this for me to go on from time to time. I'm looking forward to the game on Saturday because a few of my good friends play for UW, so I think it should be exciting. My thoughts on the upcoming game are that both teams have strong defenses, but I feel that superior, superior play of the Wisconsin offense will be the difference in the outcome of the game. I watched the Hawkeyes play against ISU, and I thought the running game was quite impressive and well-established, but the passing game lacks consistency, and the Badgers will be able to capitalize on that defensively. Since the Hawkeyes have a one-dimensional offense, in my view, I think that the Badgers' offense will move the ball quite well against the Hawkeyes. So good luck to Hawkeyes, Mike, and if you guys have any way of getting the Badgers to establish something like this at UW, I'd really appreciate it. Hawkeyes Mike is always interested in and encourages listener feedback. Help make us better. Please provide us with your comments and suggestions for programs, guests, and topics by emailing feedback at hawkeyesmike.com or by calling toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. Next up, our official guy on all things rules, Rob P. We thought it might be interesting for Rob to explain the roles and responsibilities of each of the seven officials on a college football field. He'll do this in two parts over the next two weeks. First up, what happens leading up to the snap? So consider a typical play from the line of scrimmage. NCAA Division I A officiating crews consist of seven officials. A head referee, umpire, headlinesman, line judge, field judge, side judge, and back judge. The head referee is the guy in the white hat in the offensive backfield. The umpire is the guy right behind the defensive line. The head linesman is the guy usually on the visiting team's sideline at the line of scrimmage with the first down chain crew. The line judge is the guy usually on the home team's sideline at the line of scrimmage. The side judge and the field judge are the two officials around 20 yards downfield on each sideline, and the back judge is the guy way downfield in the middle. Everybody on the crew is always responsible for doing something, even between downs. Before the ball is snapped, every official is counting either the offense or the defense, depending on what position they're at. So if you've ever wondered why the officials are holding a punch out in the air toward each other or giving each other the thumbs up between downs, that's what that is. They're signaling to each other that there are 11 players on whatever side of the ball they're responsible for. The two line officials and the referee and umpire are always on the lookout for violations of the substitution rules, and the referee is always looking for violations of the offensive huddle rules. So then when the offensive team goes to the line of scrimmage after 
are signaling 11 players to each other. Even though you'd never notice it, the officials are all very busy looking for certain things. The umpire is making sure that the center doesn't illegally move the ball. The two line officials are determining whether or not their nearest receiver or two or three are on or off the line of scrimmage for player pass eligibility and legal formation purposes. If their nearest receivers are off the line, they signal with their arms straight back toward the offensive backfield. The lines and referee and umpire are all looking for false starts by the offense or offsides with contact by the defense or a snap infraction or illegal snap by the center and to make sure that all 11 offensive players are set for at least one second. And the back judge is getting ready to call a delay of game if the visible play clock at the far end of the field reaches zero before the snap starts or before someone calls timeout. Everyone on the crew is also trying to determine what kind of play is about to come based on both teams' formations and the play calling tendencies of both teams, which has gone over in the officials' extensive pregame meeting. And that's all before the play even starts. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Just a reminder that following every football game this fall, some questions will be posted on the website, www.hawkeyesmike.com. You can respond to those, or you can offer whatever comments and opinions you like. The toll-free hotline will be open 24 hours a day from the time the game is over through the following Tuesday evening. Just call 866-74-HAWKS. The new podcast should be available for listening or downloading on Wednesday afternoons. Again, just call 866-74-HAWKS to make your voice heard. Today's Hawkeyes Mike program is made possible in part by the Lodge Apartments in Iowa City, the finest in student living, your home away from home. Call 319-358-3500 or go to www.thelodgeatui.com and by Morgan Stanley Financial Advisors of Curlville. Call 319-338-5184 or 800-870-0002 for all your investment needs. Let's hope Iowa can bounce back from the loss at Iowa State and pull the upset against the Badgers in Madison Saturday night. It'll be another primetime under-the-lights appearance for the Hawks. They'll have to show major improvement in the offense and on special teams and prove that the defense is for real to have any chance at all against Wisconsin. Kirk's teams have always played the Badgers tough and in the past have shown they can bounce back from early season losses. It remains to be seen whether this team has enough talent and poise to make that happen. Thanks again to our regular contributors, Marv Cook and Pat Hardy, to Rob P., and of course, to our callers. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you'll participate. We encourage new callers by phoning and making your own voice heard, 866-74-HAWKS. That's 866-74-HAWKS. Call into Hawkeyes Mike, make yourself heard, then listen to yourself on the podcast, and invite your friends and family to listen and call in, too. It's going to be all Hawkeyes, all the time, on HawkeyesMike.com. For Iowa fans, by Iowa fans. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of HawkeyesMike.com and Enlightened Vision, LLC.